You're listening to Make and Multiply, a podcast for the people of Emmaus Road Church in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. This is our Monday episode we call Hear and Obey when we are walking through the passage of scripture that was just preached yesterday as we gathered on the Lord's Day. My name is Ryan Chase, one of the pastors at Emmaus Road Church, and I'm joined today by Mark Christensen and Matt Groon, and we are in Matthew chapter 9, so this is a a break from our Exodus sermon series because we had a guest preacher with us, Jim Donahue, who's a pastor at Covenant Fellowship in Glen Mills, Pennsylvania, and Jim was preaching from Matthew 9, 35 through 38, so I'm going to read that passage. He went on into chapter 10, so we'll probably talk about some of that as well, but this is Matthew 9, 35 through 38, which says... And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this word in particular and what you intend to accomplish in our hearts and our minds, cultivating in us biblical convictions about the lost and about the great commission and about evangelism, uh, about the gospel of Jesus. And so, Lord, we we pray that you would do that through this word and that you would um, make us uh, give us the, the same compassion of Jesus for the lost and, and move us out toward the world with the, the good news of Christ's life and death and resurrection and rule and reign. So we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Mm. Well, what a joy to have Jim Donahue with us in person. I, I've been looking forward to that Sunday for a while. Mm. Um, you guys both went through the pastor's college, so you had Jim for a whole week teaching there. And um, he is he's something else. Yeah. He's a dose of something. It's a good way of saying it. Yeah, yeah he is something else. His his passion mm-hmm. is contagious. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it, 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 you spend any time around him, and you can just tell he loves people. Uh, he he is not putting on a show or faking that. His love for the lost, his his concern that he has, and so um, just to have him here in person to preach in our church, I think, was such a a great gift. And, uh, I was thankful for that opportunity. Things that stood out to you guys from this, this text as, as Jim preached through it. Man, what a, what a great text. You know, it's to, to one of the ways that is sort of infectious about Jim is that he's so clearly motivated, um, to appeal to the lost with the gospel. Um, and that so clearly comes not just from, you know, a, like you were saying, Ryan, some ginned up spirit of like, this is, you know, this is what we're supposed to do as Christians. So come on, let's, let's go. But clearly pulled from it's, it's a, it's gospel motivation. Mm. Um, so you read a text like this and I love what he said, kind of, I forget where exactly in his, in his sermon, but where he was just said, it's so easy to be guilted and mm. it's so easy to feel like I'm not doing enough, but the the hope he set forward, which is so true of Jesus here, of like Jesus is giving motivation that the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. 
And, mm-hmm. and so instead of wondering, instead of saying to ourselves and, and motivating within ourselves guilt of like, oh, man, I, I just need to do more. There's hope rather. Mm-hmm. Jesus is providing hope that there is a means mm-hmm. and you can be a means. And so instead of wallowing in self-pity of, oh, I'm not doing enough well, somebody else will do it. Right. Um, you know, it's just so simple. You just like pray, ask for forgiveness and go. <laughs> and, yes. and, that, and that's the sweet thing as Christians is. It might feel like guilt, but really we should view it as conviction, mm. which conviction always comes so that we might be changed, so that we might change yeah. um, by the power of uh, the Spirit and God's grace. And so, mm-hmm. um, yeah, to be convicted of seeing the lost, having compassion for them, praying for them and going to them, um, we should be thankful for that, yeah. getting that conviction. Yeah. Jim is an incredible example um, I've had the pleasure now of spending quite a bit of time around him over the course of several evangelism retreats and trainings that I've been at with him. And, um, we go out to eat and he just talks with everybody, mm-hmm. um, the barista behind the counter or the, the waiter who serves us. And he's always engaging people in conversation. Um, so then when he talks about something like this, he, he's so aware that when, when evangelism comes up, Christians tend to feel a lot of guilt, shame, condemnation. And some people use that as a a motivation, like, you know, what's wrong with you? Don't you care about the lost who are going to hell? And, um, you know, how could you be so selfish to keep this good news to yourself? And, you know, so that, that exists out there and he's very sensitive to, um, make sure people know it's the grace of God that, that motivates us while at the same time being honest that, um, the, the reality might be that we have been, um, ashamed uh, of Jesus and, you know, not open our mouths to talk about Christ in in various settings, or we might um, be neglecting to share the good news with people that God has brought Mm -hmm. into our lives. But there's hope there when you have the gospel, there there is forgiveness. Like you're saying, we we, we can um, be forgiven of that and then empowered by God's spirit so that the thing that's driving us is not guilt and shame. But I just, you know, I've, I've heard Jim say, I think he said this in his sermon yesterday, like, you know, this is, this is all of us. I, I don't, I don't do enough. And right. <laughs> I look at him and I'm like, man, you know, he, he just, he talks to hundreds and thousands of people regularly uh, about the gospel. Um, and even yet he carries that, mm-hmm. ha- has that feeling like, oh, I, I could, I could talk to one more. Um, so I, I am thankful for that, that gospel centered motivation that, and, and like you're saying to, to develop biblical conviction that um on the one hand we don't just give ourselves a pass like oh yeah no big deal if we ne- neglect this area of evangelism no, it, it is a big deal but it's god's grace that covers all of our failure and our weakness um, and god's grace that empowers us for the task mm-hmm. and it's helpful to how you know it's it is it's it's vital it, it is vital and this was jim's a part of jim's point to have these biblical convictions regarding evangelism that it's not rooted in us it's rooted in in what in in the lord of the harvest the one who actually is bringing it about but you know as far as motivations go examples are ex- people are such uh to have such examples are such helpful pictures mm. so for instance jim is that Mm -hmm. but then he's but he is that way because he's looking at jesus here in the gospels and saying that jesus is doing something i loved how that the uh the uh examples he used in his sermon like oscar schindler who Mm. you know if you've seen that movie and the scenes he described if you've seen all the way to the end where schindler is surrounded by all the people that he helped save 
and he is overcome with emotion. You know, as that famous violin line is played in the background, that famous scene where he's getting into his car, looking at all these people he saved and his comment, he starts weeping and just says, I could have saved more. Yeah. I could have saved more. And what, uh, what an example. And then I just, I get emotional every time I hear about, every time I hear the story of the, the rescue in Nome in Mm. the, what was that in the twenties or whatever it was Mm -hmm. with, with the sled dogs with Togo and Balto, but mostly Togo, even though Balto gets all the, (laughs) gets all the credit in the book and the Disney movie. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, but those examples of Jesus, and I love what, you know, he just, if you look, you know, you look in the text, we're looking in the text in, in Matthew chapter nine in verse, uh, what is it? Verse 36. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for Mm. them. Um, and that's just, I love how Jim asked the question, do we see, like, are we looking, mm. are we be, you know, the, the, I was doing a little research on the, on the, the original language here. And that looking is one of the, one of the Greek words for beholding. Do we, are we, do we have our eyes open? Are we mm. taking it in? Not just looking, but are we scanning? Are we yeah. beholding? And yeah. And one of those things that Jim had brought up with that is, when you spend time with the loss, you actually see the loss for mm-hmm. how lost they actually are. Mm-hmm. And so it was funny, well, funny enough last night spending time with the sand volleyball team I'm playing with. And one guy on my team, just incredibly awful temper, mm-hmm. um, poor sport. And, um, yeah, it just broke my heart. Cause it's like, that's not a fun way to live. Mm. Um, I've been there before. Yeah. And thankfully God saved me out of that and is sanctifying me in that. But, mm. um, so just spending time, you have that compassion. You actually see yeah. the lost people rather than just someone who's annoying or has a poor temper, but right. they're lost. Like yeah. they don't have the way out of um, their sin. And so, um, yeah, yeah. That, that it's cultivating that Jesus compassion for people because they were harassed and helpless, like mm. sheep without a shepherd. Um, I, I think that's vital for us to continue to cultivate that and not lose that. It's not like a one-time thing you develop and then you have it, but it's continually being reminded. And that quote that Jim shared, you know, if you want to develop a heart for loss, go spend time with lost people and see mm-hmm. how lost they are. Mm-hmm. I, I think it can expose our own self-righteousness if our tendency is to look at people in the world and think kind of like the Pharisee and the tax collector in the story Jesus told two men standing there praying and the Pharisee prays, thank you, God, that I'm not like that guy over there, that sinner. I tithe and I obey you and I do all the right things and thank God I'm not like that sinner. And I think in especially that's a temptation at any time. But in this cultural moment, it's easy to look at the, the craziness of the world around us and how confused culture is. And instead of having compassion for people who are trapped in their sin, enslaved to sin, um, to just have kind of a, a mocking or a scoffing or a, you know, a judgmental attitude rather than seeing the, these are souls that are dead in sin and and God wants to save people out of that. Yeah. So I, I, th- what a powerful reminder. This is the heart of Jesus. When he yeah. takes on flesh and walks this earth in our midst with all the, the filth of human sin around him, his heart's just breaking for people. Yeah, and I think a category we need to hold is obviously with how crazy our culture is right now and just a lot of the ideas that are being perpetuated and lived out. So thinking of like transgenderism for an example, we don't have to have compassion for 
the ideology right. or right. the thing itself, but the people who are enslaved by it. Yes. That's, that's who we want to have compassion for. So we want to be strong with truth on what they're propagating, but we want to love those people well. Yeah. Yeah. Which is real love right. rather than saying like, no, I have to, I have to affirm you and agree with you and say that you're right. That's right. Like that, that is not loving. If yeah. you are, are really loving people and uh, experiencing biblical compassion for them, right. you see mm-hmm. this is death. This is um, destruction and you're under God's wrath until you trust in Christ. Yeah. And so th- that's the motivation. Absolutely. And, it, and they, like you said, that's real compassion. You know, Jesus looked and saw and had compassion on them. We were talking before we turned the mics on looking at the, the Greek, the Greek word here. Um, you going to say it? No, I'm not going to try it. it. When, 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 uh, when Jim said a Greek word, I can't pronounce. This is the Greek word. He gave. It's, uh, <laughs> splognitsumai is the, what I think that's what we tried. <laughs> splognitsumai. But anyway, it, it has, it comes from another, it's the, it's the verb form of a noun that deals it's like cardia is the heart, like, mm-hmm. you know, the feelings. Well, this, this is the, another word for, for like that, where the inward parts, the literally the entrails, yeah. the, the gut, the depths, the visceral feeling. So, so Jesus looks at them and, and is moved all the way down into his, what the Greek would be the entrails mm-hmm. that one guy says it's the seat of feelings and affections. But for the pagan Greeks, it was the seat of anger. Interestingly for Christians, they thought of it as compassion, hmm. the way that we, it moves us to care. It moves us to move in, um, which is different than our modern conceptions of empathy or, uh, you know, just kind of diving in with them because, and in, why, why do the sheep, why, why do these people need compassion? Because he calls them sheep without a, a shepherd. Um, the same commentator who is just so helpful. Uh, this is one of my favorite commentaries, but he says, even without predators, Sheep are in trouble if they have no shepherd, for they are not good foragers. And I think Jim made that point. Yeah. They need they no natural defenses. Right, no, de- <laughs> they need a shepherd to lead them. And then he quotes Psalm 20, or 23 here in green pastures and beside still waters. Goats manage very well by themselves, but sheep do not. Sheep without a shepherd points to people who are in great danger and without the resources to escape mm-hmm. from it. And I think that's why compassion is so needed, yeah. is because. The lost are lost, and if we sit around and just wait for them to find themselves yeah. and say, like, like yeah, the that's helpful, the prodigal son of like, oh well, look, oh now I realize yeah, find I'm your own slot. way out. No, that's we need to. How beautiful are the feet of people who bring good news? That's mm. compassionate people. Um, yeah, that's good. That's that's motivating. Yeah, I, yeah. I think along those lines of that word, you know, for compassion, it, it, it we say that in English when we talk about you know seeing something so so tragic or heartbreaking. Yeah. You say like I was sick to my stomach about it. I mean, it's that kind of idea. Like right. you, you feel it physically, mm-hmm. um, and and that's that's moving to know that Jesus was moved in that way mm-hmm. by the condition of lost people. Right. Yeah. Looking back at the text here, verses thirty-five through thirty-eight. Um, so when we huddle, we we want to look at the text and see structure. We want to see the the movement of the argument. Mm-hmm. So here we see these two metaphors. You have a shepherding metaphor, and you have a farming metaphor later. Mm-hmm. Um, so you get into verse 37, he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. How is the harvest plentiful? Mm. Um, there are lost people who are predestined to be a part of God's family, God's kingdom. Yes. Who have yet to be saved, brought yeah. into that family. And so, um, that is, and that's that, helpful. That's, that's massive that's because powerful. that, that 
you know, you know, we good capital C Calvinists sit and often are the critique of, well, how can you guys even talk about Calvinism when you have beliefs such as predestination? Right. Mark, you're exactly right. Like, no, this is actually the way God is working. He has for himself people who are lost, who he has elected and who he died for. And then we get to serve as the means by which to herald that news to them, to bring them, not that we're the ones effectuating yeah. their bringing back, right. but, but God has willed to work through exactly. the means of person to person proclamation of the gospel. Just like we don't cause the harv- we don't cause the corn to grow, right? right? Nature and the rain and God ultimately yeah. is causing, but we still need There's to There's a lot act. of work for a farmer to do. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. 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 No, that that's incredible. And so... Um, hope producing mm. to to reflect on that reality. Jesus is the one who said the harvest is plentiful. Yeah. Um, so it, it just changes the game rather than evangelism being like, well, hopefully a couple people here or there respond positively. It's just so easy to fall into a very pessimistic mindset of like, well, look, all these people are lost and dead in their sin. They're going to reject the message. Nobody's going to believe it. And, and you can just fall into this expectation, very few people are going to respond to the gospel. Jesus is saying that there is a, a plentiful yeah. harvest, That's- an abundant harvest out there. And I, I don't know, I had never really thought through um, that scenario. I'm familiar with this text, but when, right. when Jim just played out like, all right, so think about a field full of ripe fruit mm-hmm. and no labors to gathered in. What a tragic waste. I mean, Thanksgiving is a time of celebration as the harvest is brought in and there's super abundance of, uh, you know, the whole year's work. Imagine if all of that has to get plowed under because they're just, there's, there's nobody, it just rots in the field. Mm. That picture of there are people out there ripe to be gathered in, somebody's got to go tell them. That, and it, that's it, motivating. It's like looking at the storehouse for your confidence. And if the storehouse is empty, well, right. we've, we have no confidence neglecting the field yeah, go look at the field exactly the, the field that is <laughs> fill up ripe. the storehouse go fill up the st- that's exactly right we don't cause that growth and we don't actually we just go and gather and then fill the storehouse and we see abundance yes. so if somebody's pessimistic and you know they look at their own life it's like well i haven't you know i i look at i look at the effectuation or the effect, effectiveness of my gospel proclamation there's nobody's come to christ or like as a church like we don't see a lot of conversion we you know but so so pessimism all of a sudden becomes the reigning thing. Mm-hmm. What this text does and what I think Jim did so well for us is point us, pat, like don't look to the storehouse yeah. for, for your motivation and confidence because that is not the indicator because Jesus promises here and says so plainly, well, actually, no, <laughs> the harvest is very plentiful. Mm-hmm. It's just we need more laborers mm-hmm. to go and get that which is already yours, already yeah. his. So, so then evangelism is... That clearly clearly shows how it's uh, an act of faith. Right. I'm trusting a specific promise, namely that there is a, a an abundant harvest out there. And then I'm going to step out and open my mouth and talk, trusting that as I engage people who are lost and dead in their sin, harassed mm-hmm. and helpless, I'm going to find many of them are thinking about spiritual things. Mm-hmm. Uh, and those have been some of the most, uh, I'm sad to say, surprising conversations when I have with an unbeliever and somebody says, ah, this is crazy because I was actually just last week talking with somebody about this question, like what happens when I die? Mm. And I'm sorry to say I've been surprised. Like, really? You were thinking about things mm. like that? Like, why would I be surprised when one, everybody around us is a spiritual being. So they have thoughts and questions like what happens when I die and 
am I right with God? And what is the meaning of life? And right. all of those things. Um, and two, Jesus told us that there's a harvest. Yeah. Um, so just discovering that is incredibly motivating too when you realize God is already at work out there before I even get into the field. Yeah, right. <laughs> who, who planted this? Who else sowed these seeds and caused this this uh, to, to grow up? God has been at work long before we arrive on the scene yeah. drawing people to himself. And there's there's categories here in the, the biblical imagery, the metaphors here. Um, one, you have the, the sheep and the shepherd. So obviously we're all sheep. And so I want to feel my need as a sheep for a shepherd. Second, going into that second metaphor, I'm a laborer as a Christian. And so that informs my mind, um, my motivation of here's what I'm called to do then. Here's my role in the game. Um, whereas, yeah, if it's an unbeliever or someone who's lost, they're part of that harvest. They might be part of that harvest. And yeah. So um, to keep my eyes up, as we were saying before. Yeah. And, it, and then that point Jim made about um, we're the laborers, but God is the Lord of the harvest. That distinction is also motivating and um, encouraging to know it doesn't ultimately rest on us. He's the Lord of the harvest. Mm -hmm. He owns the field. He's going to see it through. It's going to happen. Um, And it puts us in proper relationship to him. We we take our orders from him. Um, And and so then the fact that the specific command there, Jesus has the, the, you know, sum up, what's the application? Pray, pray to the Lord of the harvest. That's a, I think surprising hmm. we, we would think it would, might just jump to go out into the field and do the work. But the first thing Jesus says is pray, hmm. pray to the Lord of the harvest for more laborers. And so um, it, it's easy to devalue the role of prayer in evangelism. Yeah. Like, well, that, that's not really doing anything, right. but because it's a spiritual task and God is the Lord of the harvest, then prayer is absolutely essential to yeah. fruitfulness in, in evangelism. I appreciate it to you so much, Jim, continuing on into chapter 10. Mm. In particular, will he gets to this section on, on persecution. Mm. Because that's so helpful in thinking that's a category as well that we need to just have. Um, that Jesus makes these promises about the harvest being plentiful and the labors being few, so go out and do it. And then he also, in the same sermon, is saying, hey, I'm, and Mark, to your point, you know, we are sheep being sent out. Well, Jesus says that in verse 10, chapter 10, verse 16, behold, I am sending you out right. as sheep. In the, in, like we, you know, the, it still holds true. Sheep still need a shepherd. And he's sending us out as sheep, as our shepherd, into the midst of wolves. So, when we experience persecution or hostility or discouragement or whatever, whatever you fill in, that's not, and this is what's so helpful about Jesus and you know, the father being the Lord of the harvest is that the harvest is not dependent on our, um, our, our efforts. It's not dependent on our salesmanship or our pitching, you know, this new, cool idea we have. No, this is, as Kevin DeYoung very helpfully once said to me, the sovereignty of God, which is what we're talking about here with the lordship of Christ in the harvest. The sovereignty of God is what makes goers become stayers, where they have the confidence despite persecution, despite setback. They don't look to the storehouse. Mm-hmm. They don't look at their winsomeness mm-hmm. as the me or the, the, their confidence in the gospel message, but rather just casting seed casting seed out and then watch God work. And and that's where like confidence and it becomes that ballast, like in suffering, it becomes a ballast in when I face persecution, I shouldn't be like, Oh, what am I doing wrong? No, expect this. This is part of 
the process. But we have hope, not pessimism, but hope in the gospel's effect in our neighborhoods, in our homes, in our city. Well, we have hope too because we're following Jesus in his footsteps of this was his mission. You look at verse 36, chapter 9. This is what he started with. Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages teaching. So he's proclaiming the gospel um, and healing every disease and affliction. So he's blessing the people. He's proclaiming the gospel. And then he says in verse 38, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers. What happens in 10-1? Laborers are sent out. Mm-hmm. They're given authority to do these things. And so um, it's starting already and we're already following in something that Christ has done. Yeah. So we're not trying to do something new. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I think chapter 10, the wisdom of Jesus to address the suffering and persecution that we're going to face um, is so helpful because typically the biggest objections that we have, the biggest hurdles we have to opening our mouths and talking about Jesus with other people is um, what if they reject me? Mm. What if they don't want to hear it? What if they get mad? What if, um, and even there to compare the persecution light, so to speak, that, that we face <laughs> versus what Jesus is talking about here, it, not even close. You know, he, he's talking about people being put to death, <laughs> people um, arrested, people being flogged yeah, the fear for he, his namesake. The fear he warns them of is of do not fear those who will kill the body. Right. I don't think any of us are, our fear of not speaking to our neighbors is because, well, they might kill me. Yeah, it just makes, <laughs> it just, I, I feel so soft when I compare, yeah. like, my biggest fear is they're going to think, well, that guy's kind of socially awkward. Like, why, why did he bring up spiritual things? I didn't want to hear anything about that. And, <laughs> and we're just pastor, devastated. Yeah. Like, oh my goodness, I can't, I can't stand that my neighbor now, uh, you know, didn't want to hear this. And <laughs> we take that rejection. So um, personally, yeah. and it's just not even like, well, nobody even picked up rocks to throw at us. But the fact that Jesus prepares us for that and just says, um, even though you're going to be mistreated in, in these ways, fear not. Yeah. Um, trust God who is going to guard you and protect you. Um, he's going to preserve your soul through this, even if you do face that level of hostility and persecution. Uh, it just addresses the biggest obstacles that we face. Yeah. And right. I think one of the other big obstacles we face is... Um, not knowing what to say. Mm. And Jesus deals with that here when he says, you know, don't, don't worry. Words are going to be given to you. He tells his disciples and they bring you before rulers and you're on trial. Don't worry about what you're going to say. Words are going to be given to you in that moment. So, so we have, we're not just on our own. Obviously we can learn tools and, and um, tactics for navigating through conversation and how to share the gospel effectively. Um, but ultimately our hope is the spirit of God lives in us and, mm-hmm. and we know the gospel because we trust the gospel. We know Jesus. And so just trusting that the spirit of God can give us words in, in, in that moment, it, it overcomes those two big hurdles for yeah. us. Trusting that we'll be given words. And then two, just trusting that God is preparing people. Yeah. Um, just think of a small example. We were at lunch the other day and um, Jim was with us and he just asked the waiter, Hey, we're going to, pray for our meal. Is there anything you need prayer for? Mm-hmm. And this waiter just opened up like none mm-hmm. other. Yeah. I uh, just started telling us about everything going on in his life. And so knowing that people want someone to know and to care and to yeah. pray for them. Um, that's such an easy hurdle to step over as mm-hmm. Christians. 
um, to start having those conversations. Mm-hmm. I think people are more open than we yeah. realize. Well, there's just that common language, you know. Um, I just, you know, just want to be seen, you know, which we hear that. And, you know, we come from a therapeutic age, so we're kind of like, okay, well. But that, that, has, that comes from somewhere, right? That's a very human experience. And we see that here in, in chapter 9 where Jesus saw these people. He saw them. And, and he, he saw them for their lostness and had deep compassion. So, yeah, the, that question just has been sticking with me since I, since I was listening to this is, what, what am I looking at throughout my day? Do I see? And am I moved like Jesus for compassion for people. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, that's not a guilt. That's not a, yeah. the, the motivation there is. It's eye-opening. Yeah, it's eye-opening and there's just, there's hope. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that, that's helpful. Yeah. To look around, see people, not just as, well, you know, look at those idiots, right. you know, in sin or look at, mm-hmm. um, yeah, see people as spiritual beings, mm-hmm. dead in their sin, uh, enslaved. And, uh, and when, and aren't you glad, this was, this was powerful as always, but aren't you glad that Jesus didn't see you that way mm-hmm. in the sense of, wow, well, who cares about, you know, right. they're just whatever. Oh, they're, yeah. We are recipients of mercy. That's right. And, and Jesus says that to his disciples here in chapter 10, as he's sending them out, freely you have received, freely give. Mm-hmm. So, so again, another motivation, just how freely God has lavished grace on us. Why would we then be? stingy with that grace yeah. toward others. That's good. His glory is going to cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. Amen. There's a plentiful harvest. And so I don't know about you. I want to walk in that. Yeah. I want to yeah. be a part of that. Yeah. And so Absolutely. Um, I think there's more excitement than anything. Yeah. What a joy to be part of a, a church that's cultivating a heart for the lost, compassion mm-hmm. like Jesus for the lost, mm-hmm. um, seeking to grow in our evangelism. We want to see conversion growth. We want to see God save lost people. So we intentionally say from up front, we want part of our vision is to give every resident of Sioux Falls repeated opportunities to hear and respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. We want every resident here to hear the gospel of Jesus over and over again, to be invited to respond in repentance and faith and trusting God's going to bring in that harvest. Mm. May it be so. That's right. Amen.